Well, all right, let's uh, study God's Word together, and uh, you can uh, find in your Bible there, James chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today as we continue our series in James. Um, And today we're going to be looking at the sin of partiality in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So as we walk through that, I'm going to be in the English Standard Version. We'll have it on the screen for you um, today, but um, if you want to follow along in your Bible, that's that's great as well. And, um, you know, right now, if I was to pull out my phone, and go to the, you know, the phone icon, uh, all these little things come across, and one of them, it says favorites, and if I was to hit that button, there's a list of names that come up, and it's people that I call the most often, right, it's my favorites list, it's the people that I, that I call the most, and uh, you have that list probably as well on your phone, um, I've got a list of favorite TV shows too that I, that I could give you, here's my five favorite shows, my five favorite movies, right, and if you go into um, Netflix, you might see people's list of things, that, you know, their favorites and, and, and things of that nature, and um, you know, we all have favorite sports teams, right? I've got my favorite sports team, and I'm going to spend a lot more time this fall, hopefully, um, watching my favorite football team uh, than I am whatever pitiful team that you pull for. And uh, But I'll be pulling for my team, right? And so, and I'm much more likely to spend time doing that because I, I play favorites in certain areas, right? It's, it's, it's something we, we all do. However, there is a favoritism. There is a partiality that is sinful, that's wicked, It's wrong. It's a perversion of God's design. And here in James, he's going to address that for us. And it's actually very timely. It's very timely. I mean, this is what happens sometimes as you preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Sometimes uh, what's going on in the world and where you're at in a text just happens to coincide because we serve a sovereign God. And so the issue in the book of James, however, is how the poor were being treated versus the rich in the church. That's the type of partiality that's going on. It's sinful to show partiality or favoritism towards the rich over the poor. Now, that is not the only way to show partiality. That is the example in the text today because that's what's going on in that church. But we'll, we still see this, by the way, uh, in, in churches today. People can still show favoritism towards the rich, for instance, over the poor. But we we also see it in other ways. Uh, we see it with social status and, and things of that nature. But we also see it with, with ethnicity and racism. Racism is a form of um, um, sinful partiality. When people favor certain ethnicities over others, it's sinful. It, it's wicked even. You see, when God saves rich people and when God saves poor people, And when God saves people from every tribe and tongue and from every race and ethnicity, and when God saves people with influence in culture and people with no influence in culture, and we let socioeconomic status or social status or race or ethnicity influence us to treat people differently or less fairly or less justly or less graciously, we sin against God. It's that simple. That's going to be a point of the text today. So the big bottom line today that we've been giving each week is this. Partiality is inconsistent with faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point James is going to drive for us today. Partiality is inconsistent with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So look with me in James chapter 2. We're going to kind of read it as we go today. And so we're going to start by just reading the first verse. So I'm going to put that on the screen for you. James chapter 2, starting in verse 1, James writes, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So let's pause there. The word partiality here, as he sets up um, our, our text this morning, means literally to lift someone's face, to lift up someone's face. It's the idea of judging based on external or outward appearance, uh, such as in the case of money. 
Or as we mentioned already, as in the case of ethnicity and race, or as in the case of social status. Uh, The New American Standard Bible translates it as an attitude of personal favoritism. Uh, James commands that you should not act in a way like this, which shows this sort of favoritism, as at the same time you hold on to faith in Jesus Christ. His point is that it's inconsistent. It's incompatible. It's like oil and water. It does not mix. It just doesn't jive. The idea that you can have faith in Jesus and that you can show this sort of sinful favoritism and partiality um, towards and against others. It's faith in Jesus. It's the power of the gospel that actually drives this out of the human heart. Listen, man's greatest problem is a sin problem. Sin manifests itself in many ways, partiality being one of them. The remedy is the same as it is for all sin. The remedy is the gospel. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that anyone can experience real eternal change and real ultimate freedom from sin. Sin manifests itself in many ways, partiality being one of them. The gospel is the remedy. Notice, he calls Jesus here in the first verse, the Lord of glory. And it's interesting that he chooses that title for Jesus here. J.A. Motyer writes, quote, The Lord Jesus Christ is God's glory. God himself come among us in all his goodness and in the full revelation of his person. He goes on and says, Our values, priorities, and activities must ever be governed by the definition of true glory displayed in the person, conduct, and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Douglas Moo notes that in this situation, too much glory was being given to human beings. Now, namely in the text, it was the rich. They were being treated better, and then the the poor were being treated worse. So understand, when you think about this, Jesus as the Lord of glory, and as as Motyer says, the the one who who should govern our our definition of true glory, understand that, that the world looked at Jesus and did not see him as glorious. We know that, right? If, you, if you've read the Gospels, they, if you're familiar with the Bible, they, they, they viewed him as just some carpenter's son. Uh, they rejected him. They didn't see him as God in the flesh. But yet, James says he's the Lord of glory. Uh, they, 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 they crucified him. That's what sinners did to the Lord Jesus Christ. But James says he's the Lord of glory. Now, when we look at people, we need to understand something. Rich or poor, No matter ethnicity or race, every person is made in the image of God. So we don't judge based on externals. We celebrate what God has declared. And God declares every person created in the image of God. So we celebrate that and we declare that, right? And so I see three reasons in this text as we're going to walk through it that partiality is inconsistent with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Inconsistent with faith in the Lord of God. Of glory, And so I want to walk you through those as we walk through the text. And here's the first reason. The first reason partiality is inconsistent with faith in Christ. Partiality makes ungodly distinctions. Partiality makes ungodly distinctions. Let's pick up in verse 2, and I'm going to read down through verse 7. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while well, he said to the poor man, you stand over there, or... Sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So let's pause there. James here gives us an illustration 
The situation is a rich man and a poor man both show up at a church gathering. The poor man doesn't have much, right? He's, he's shabbily dressed, as James says. He's shabby clothing. The rich man has a lot, so he's dressed in fine clothing. He even has a gold ring on his finger, symbolizing his wealth. In our day, it'd be like, you know, we have church on a Sunday morning um, this, this next Sunday, and somebody rolls up in a Rolls Royce, um, and they get out of their car, and they're wearing designer clothes, and you can just tell by the, the handbag that the, the wife has or the suit uh, that the husband has on that they have, they're exhibiting that they have money. And at the same time, somebody else comes walking up, okay, their clothes are tattered. Maybe they haven't had access in a sh- to a shower in a while, and maybe that's noticeable. And maybe they're, they're, they, they haven't shaven in a while, and maybe um, it, it's all sorts of things exhibiting the fact that they don't have money. One, one person is showing, I have little things materially, and the other one is saying, I have a lot of things materially. And that's kind of the situation here. And, and in James's illustration, they give the rich man a great seat. Right? They, they honor him with good seating. The poor man they insult by telling him to stand or sit at their feet, which was very insulting in their culture. And they're, they're honoring one and insulting the other. They're propping one up. They're catering to one. And the other, they're treating poorly. And James says, when this happens, you have made distinctions uh, among yourself. You, you've become judges with evil thoughts. Why? Why, is, why? why have you become judges with evil thoughts? Because God looks and he sees two image bearers. Right? God sees two image bearers. If they're Christians, God looks and he sees two of his children purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. But rather than see like God, here we see the church treating them differently based off their appearances. And in in this situation, maybe indicating to this church what they have to offer the church. James says this is evil. James points out that this ungodly distinction is inconsistent with God and the nature of God. He says, God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. Now, this does not mean all poor people go to heaven or all rich people go to hell. You can be poor and be lost. You can be rich and be saved. You can be rich and be lost, or you can be poor and be saved. That's not the point. However, if you look around the world, and over the years, over the centuries, most of the church has been very poor. He's making the point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, the apostle Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So all people are dependent on the grace of God and wealth and influence and power and ethnicity. None of that can gain you approval with God. We all come to God the same way, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, not many wise, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Why? No boasting. No boasting, he says. Salvation's all of grace. And the point is, God is in the business of saving the poor. Yet, He's telling them, you, James is telling them, you are rejecting them, treating them like lesser than. And this is ungodly. It's unlike what God does. In their situation, the people they are favoring, the rich, they're actually persecuting them (laughs) in their culture. They are blaspheming, he says, the name of God. They are oppressing them. He says they're dragging them into court. And James addresses this more later. And it's likely that that many um, of the rich were using their power and their money to oppress the poor or poorer Christians in the community, even using the court system in a way to hurt them and take more from them. And, and it could be that they thought, well, maybe 
if we if we if we treat them well, if we cater to them and and and, and more of them start coming, maybe they'll treat us better. And so what ends up happening is they're treating the poor one way because they don't need more of them. They got plenty of them, and they're treating the rich one way because they need more of them, so they'll stop persecuting them. James says this sort of distinctions you're making, this is wrong. This is not okay. It's evil. It's sinful. And James sees all this, and he calls it distinctions with evil desires. It's ungodly distinctions. See, the church is one in Christ. It's not about your ethnicity or race, your income, your social status, or the amount of influence you carry in the culture or the community, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wicked to un- try to undo the work of the gospel with your worldview, when your worldview is inconsistent with the gospel. When the gospel unites us as one and your worldview divides us and makes, us, makes others less than you, that's sinful. That's wicked. It's not the gospel that's out of place or out of step. It, it, it's, it's you, it's people that are out of step with the gospel. See, we can apply this to race as well, and we should. God is in the business of saving people from every tribe and tongue, the Bible tells us. All are equally created in his image. All have sinned and need redemption. All can be saved through faith in Christ. There is no place in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for treating someone of another race as less than. That's ungodly. It's anti-Christian. It, it's showing you have evil thoughts, as James would say here. So we, this has broad application for us and very specific application for us today to just make note of is what's being highlighted in our culture. Now here's the other thing. Number two, partiality violates the command to love, therefore breaking God's law. Partiality violates the command to love, breaking God's law. Verse 8, let's read verses 8 through verse 11. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So James says it's, it's good. You're doing well if you fulfill the command to love your neighbor. You know, Jesus said it this way. He said it's the second greatest commandment, right? He says the greatest is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And and the second greatest is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said all the law and prophets hinge on those. They're summed up in that. And believers in Christ are those who have been saved from our sins. From the fact that we haven't loved God like we're supposed to supremely. From the fact that we haven't loved neighbor as ourselves, And we've been saved from our sins and made into a people that love God supremely. That love people as ourselves. That are pursuing this kind of love because God has transformed our hearts. And partiality and favoritism shows that you don't love them. Shows, shows that you don't love people as yourself. That's James's point. It stands in contradiction to who God has saved us to be. And who he's creating us and saving us to be. James makes the point that if you break one law. You've broken the law. Murder, he mentions. Adultery, right? All of the, the, the partiality, racism, they, they all offend the same God. That's, that's the point. Notice the unity of the law is tied to the character of God. Breaking one law means you broke the law because right and wrong comes from God and his characters. One commentator pointed out it's whatever law you break, you're breaking the law of the lawgiver. And that's the point here James is, is pointing to. See, breaking the law of God is not like knocking over one bowling pin. You've still got several left. You get some more cracks at it. Or you've got a large pizza, eight slices, and you drop one. Like, I've still got seven left. I'm good. No, it's, it's like shattering a piece of glass. You 
glass that you touch in one spot and it shatters everywhere. You break a mirror in one spot, but it cracks and shatters everywhere. That, that's the picture James is painting here. The law of God is, is a whole. It, it's unified and it reflects the will and the character of our God. You see, some, some people may think, oh, I'm to love my neighbor as myself. Well, of course I do that. But see, that's not the command. Excuse me. Some people think, I should love my neighbor. That's not the command. The command is to love God as yourself. Misspoke there. The command is to, to love the neighbor as yourself. But many times what we do is we knock off the last two words. And we think, oh, the command is to, is to, love, to, to love my neighbor. Well, I love my neighbor. And then we decide what that means and what that looks like, depending on the context. It becomes a subjective thing. Well, I love them because X. I love them because of Y. But James puts those two little words. The Bible puts those two little words. Deuteronomy puts those words. Jesus puts those words on it as yourself. And so now it's not a subjective feeling. It's not something we really get to. It becomes an objective thing. It's something that can be seen and something that can be measured. I love what uh, Motyer says about this. He says that love must here mean loving care and attention. Loving care and attention. It's not a feeling. You make sure you have food. You make sure you have clothes. You care for yourself. And you also want certain things for yourself. Holiness, happiness, justice, peace, prosperity. You should want that for all. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? True love for others will want for them what I want for me. It will seek to show concern for them, attention to them. It seeks to help them, not simply not to hurt them. Now, loving the poor, for instance, as yourself is going to have implications on our lives. It, loving people of other ethnicities than yourself will, will have implications on our lives. God calls us to tangible, genuine love that shows care and concern for others no matter income level, no matter social status, no matter political party or race or ethnicity or any of those things. See, in our current cultural moment that we're having right now, it's wise for the church to just to, to listen. It's, it's wise to listen. It's important. There are important conversations that need to be had in our nation today. And don't simply run to your favorite cultural commentator or news source to figure out how to deal with race issues and justice issues. Run to the Bible. Go to the Bible. And, and love your neighbor enough to listen. Right? You want to be heard. Love your neighbor as yourself. So listen to your neighbor. Love them enough to listen. And if we won't listen, we, we certainly do not love as well as we should. A failure to love others as we love ourselves is a sin. And James says sin invites the judgment of God. Let's look at number three. Partiality invites God's judgment. Verse 12, James says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James reminds us here of the judgment of God and the phrase law of liberty reminds us that in Christ we have been set free from our sin and, and, and free to obey God. We are free to obey and in God's word we find real freedom as we talked about uh, already in the book of James. So here he says, so speak and so act as those who are going to be judged by the law of liberty. In other words, live like you're going to stand before God. Uh, we're to bring both our words and our actions under the authority of God's words. How we talk about others matters. How we treat others matters. So what we say and what we do should be in line with God's word and with the fact that we have been set free by the gospel to walk in the truth of the word of God. Now listen, we're all going to stand before God. Every, every man, woman, boy, and girl are going to stand before God. And James says, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. The point is not to show mercy 
um, or to behave in a certain way in order to receive mercy, like to earn it. That's not his point. The point is that by showing mercy, in this case, towards the poor, towards those society may run over and society may cast aside and look past, we demonstrate a faith that is real. Uh, in other words, you cannot be a merciless, unkind, hateful, unloving person and expect to find mercy in judgment because your life is demonstrated you've never encountered the mercy of God. That's James's point. Those that have experienced mercy will show mercy. Uh, those that have tasted grace will display grace. Those that have experienced the love of God are going to show love to others. Our lives give evidence to not earn our standing before God. Our lives give evidence to not earn our standing before God. Those that have experienced mercy show mercy. So in, in, in light of all this, uh, how can we... How can we war against the sin of partiality? How can we kill it? That's what we do with sin, right? We kill sin. We destroy sin. We fight sin. So let me just give you a, a, a few quick things um, just as I step back from this text and think about it. The first way is this. Experience the liberating power of the gospel. We need to experience and walk in the liberating power of the gospel. James refers to the law of liberty here because the gospel frees us to obey God's word. And in fact, the remedy for sinful favoritism and partiality for racism and all that is, is found in the first verse. The very first verse, he says, faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Don't hold, don't hold partiality and faith in why you hold faith in Jesus Christ because that is the remedy. The first step to defeating any sin is faith in Jesus. It's repenting of your sin and trusting Christ. Have you experienced the liberating power of the gospel in your life? When you experience the power of the gospel in salvation, you begin to love because you know love and you've experienced love. You begin to become generous because you've experienced ultimate generosity. You will sacrifice for others because the one who sacrificed for you. You will forgive because you've been forgiven. You will crave righteousness because you have become righteous in Christ. You will long for a just world because you know your God is just and he cares about justice so much that he sent Jesus to satisfy the just and righteous demands of the law so that you can be saved. Have you experienced the liberating power of the gospel? Believer, if we've experienced, we need to be sure we're applying it, right? We need to be sure we're applying it. Listen, Jesus Christ has been sent into the world. The sinless Son of God has come and lived a sinless life and then went to the cross and died for our sin, died in our place because we're all rebels. We're all sinners. And we've sinned in a various amounts of ways and in different ways, but we're all sinners. We're all in the same boat, and the boat is sinking. And the only rescue that any of us have is Jesus. He died in our place, and he rose again. And the only way you can be delivered from any sin and experience freedom from it, whether that's the sin of partiality or, or any other sin, Whatever you're a slave to is through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one who has bore your sin on the cross and who has been raised from the dead. He is the one who has defeated sin, death, and hell. So he's the one that we need to trust. So experience the liberating power of the gospel and walk in it. Number two, pursue genuine love of neighbor. What does loving my neighbor as myself require of me? We need to ask that question. We need to always ask and respond to that. We are called to pursue genuine love of neighbor, not just give lip service. How can I better love the poor and those less fortunate than me? That's a good question to ask. How, how can I love those who have nothing socially or materially to offer me? That's a good question to ask. Do I love people of all ethnicities and races as much as I love myself? What does that look like? People of all nationalities, what does that look like? These are good questions to ask ourselves. We need to be pursuing and growing in neighbor love. And here's the third thing. Live in light of the coming judgment. 
Now, I don't mean be good or God's going to get you. That's not the point. I don't mean try and earn right standing with God. I'm saying James reminds us of the judgment, so it's good for us to be reminded of the judgment. We will give an account of our lives before God. If we have faith in Christ and have experienced the mercy of God, if we're not going to be judged for our sin because we have trusted Jesus and our sin was judged in Jesus, praise God, if we're going to hear well done, welcome home, good and faithful servant, at the judgment seat, then our lives today should reflect that. Our lives should reflect what we think heaven's going to declare. The fact that we've been made righteous in Christ and that's our position before God should work itself out in practical ways in our life. Live in light of the judgment. Let me ask you, do you know Christ today? Do you know him? That's where true freedom's found. I encourage you today, if you don't know Christ, to, to turn away from your sin, to repent, to turn away from your sin and embrace him as your Lord and Savior, believing he died in your place on the cross, that he rose from the dead. Uh, turn to him and, and believe in him. And if you've got questions about that, please email us at info at gonorthpark.com. Or if you make a decision today to put your faith in Christ, call on him as your Lord and Savior and ask him to save you. Reach out to us and let us know. We want to celebrate with you at info at gonorthpark.com or come join us next week and, and let's talk about it right there in person. Believer, let's, let's war against partiality and favoritism and model the kind of community and love for others that God calls us to. As those who have experienced the gospel's power, let's live in light of it. Let's live in light of it. As those who know the Lord of glory, let's glorify him by loving others. Let's not judge by outward appearance or by clout or by social status, or ethnicity and race. Let's show the world the better way, the way paved by the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today for the good news of Jesus and that how he sets us free from sin. And, and we know that what our nation needs right now more than anything is the good news of Jesus. And it needs us as, as Christians to live in light of that good news and to live out our faith in Christ. So Lord, we pray. Uh, that you would rid churches across our nation of any partiality, of any um, favoritism, uh, 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 of any racism or anything like that. And, and Lord, that you, that you would help us to be a people um, at North Park um, that, that, that love you, that love your word, and that love all people as we love ourselves. And let us be a people that, that live in light of what has been done for us in the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. I pray for anybody watching that have never trusted Jesus, that right now they turn away from their sin and turn to Christ. And I pray for every believer, every one of us, Lord, to take seriously what it means to hold faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.